Welcome to Axis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, the Supreme Court takes up robocalls and the next big question for small business bailouts. But first, is it legal? That's the question that lots of restaurant owners are asking right now, as their insurance claims are being unilaterally rejected. Specifically, we are talking here about interruption of business insurance, which almost every restaurant and most other retailers have. Typically, these policies were meant to cover losses in the case of something like a problem with the building. Uh, Maybe a tree fell through the roof or there was a lengthy utility outage. But as you might imagine, right now the issue is COVID-19 and in particular state authorities not allowing businesses to open their doors. Why it matters is that restaurants are experiencing the very interruption of business that they've been paying to insure against. But at the same time, were insurers to pay out such claims, it could very well bankrupt them, which would create a whole new set of second and third effect problems, including for the restaurants who would still need them if they can reopen. In Massachusetts, for example, insurers appear to be relying on a small clause that the industry got past state regulators in 2006, which explicitly excludes payouts for losses due to virus or bacteria. Now, the goal was to avoid bailing out a restaurant that didn't take safety and sanitation seriously enough. But now the insurers have applied it to the broader viral pandemic, even if there haven't been any actual coronavirus infections in the specific restaurants. Now, all of which brings us back to the question of legality and in specific legals, as in legal seafoods, a Massachusetts based restaurant chain with 33 locations in five states plus the District of Columbia. Legal signed a new business interruption policy at the very beginning of March, but it's insurer Strathmore Insurance won't pay out. So legals on Monday filed suit against Strathmore in a high profile case that many other restaurateurs and insurers are watching very, very closely. So let's dig in now to the legal fight with legal seafood CEO, Roger Berkowitz. So Roger, you guys signed a new business interruption policy on March 1st. Was that simply because the old one had run out or did you want a new broader coverage? Well, we might have said that we knew what was coming and we signed it to make sure we were covered with the pandemic. However, that was not the case. Our old one had expired. We had just signed a new policy. We had negotiated it. It was an all-risk policy and there were no exclusions for pandemic or virus. And it was well known at that time that uh, it was an international issue. There's this thing that's going on specifically in Massachusetts, which is where Legals is based and obviously where a lot of your shops are, which is this kind of state level virus bacteria exclusion to insurance policies. And that the, the goal of that, as we said in the open, is really, you know, to protect the insurance company if you guys say had an unsafe kitchen. But nonetheless, a lot of insurers are now interpreting that as covering COVID. Why wouldn't that apply to you guys? Well, I think it wouldn't apply because, again, of the timing of when we signed this and when we had negotiated our policy, everyone's policy is a bit different, but we had negotiated an all-risk policy and virus and COVID-19 were not excluded from that. So it's something if they wanted in there, they should have put in there and we could have negotiated one way or the other. When it comes to interruption of business, you guys, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but have made the decision to not only, obviously you can't have uh, eat-in or dine-in service at your restaurants, but you guys also aren't doing takeout or curbside. Why the decision to do that? And does that have an impact from your perspective on how the insurance company is viewing you in terms of cash flow? I'm not sure it has an impact. We looked at it a couple of different ways. Number one, takeout was not a significant part of what we did. It was a very small part of what we did. So even if we were to double 
the amount of takeout business, I still think it would be insignificant because we really weren't geared as a takeout business. I mean, some businesses are fast casual and 50% of their business is takeout. We weren't in that ballpark at all. The other thing is, and frankly, it was more concerning to us, was we did not know how the virus spread. And we did not understand, and look, any kitchen, to be honest with you, at least at this particular point, was never trained in social distancing. So we thought it was potentially harmful to the employees, and we would rather err on the side of safety than take a shot. So between the two of those, it just didn't make any sense to it. We didn't really give it another thought. There have obviously been other restaurateurs and other sorts of businesses which have been suing their insurers. Did you give any consideration to teaming up with anybody else? Or is it, as you say, that you've got this specific new policy, it's your insurance company and another restaurant might have a different insurer? Was that a conversation at some point? It's a good question. But, you know, frankly, when we initially said, okay, well, we wondered if the uh, business interruption now would be uh, appropriate. And, And so when we filed, we didn't really read all the lines and whatever, and it got rejected right away. So I thought, oh, you know, maybe uh, we don't qualify and maybe what we thought we qualified for, we didn't. So we didn't really look at what other people were doing at that time. And then our in-house counsel, Rick Heller, sent it to an insurance attorney expert for her to look at out on the West Coast and just for her thoughts, just to see if we were missing something. And indeed, she came back and said, you are radically different than anyone else out there because you do have this exclusion and you qualify for a fair amount. So that's what uh, changed us and sort of motivated us. You know, it's funny, we resubmitted with her comments and it only took three days for them to reject it again. So uh, I think they were in a, a scenario where they just wanted to deny any possible payout. On the other side of this, the insurance company obviously is rejecting your claim. What are you guys doing right now in terms of your rents at your locations? Are you paying your rents? We did get a little PPP money, and that allows us to pay some rent. You know, certainly uh, we have a really good relationship with our landlords, and they are experiencing that, whether it's with us or other people. You know, they understand a cash flow business, the cash stops coming in the door. It's going to have a backup effect. So they have certainly been accommodating, and some are restructuring, I suspect a lot of the deals on a going forward basis when we do reopen will be percentage rent when you say when we do reopen for example in massachusetts we don't necessarily know when that's going to be particularly in terms of eat-in do you have kind of a date circled on your calendar which says if things don't get back to quasi-normal by this date then we as a as an ongoing entity which has been successful for decades after decades could actually be in real viability trouble So, I mean, look, any cash flow business that stops working and the longer it goes out, the longer you have to question, you know, sustainability. And so you try to mitigate that along the way. And so, look, am I going to say it's not concerning? No, it, it is concerning. What I look at in terms of getting back on track, some people circle dates. I've circled the month of June. I'm hopeful that sometime in the month of June, will be able to start to get back. It may not be at 100%, maybe at 50%. What will the menus look like? What will the experience be? That's what we're trying to, you know, sort of figure out today on a going forward basis. I don't expect to open day one and it's business as usual prior to the closing. 
What are you hearing from your suppliers? You guys buy a lot of lobster and a lot of clams and a lot of fish. Are you concerned that when you are able to reopen, whether that's in June or wherever else, that you might have some supply chain problems because some of your suppliers might not exist anymore? That certainly is a concern. And that's, frankly, another reason why we really want uh, this business interruption insurance to come in so we can get monies in their hands as well and in our employees' hands as well. So it's not just us. I mean, when you are a uh, cash flow business and people come coming in on a daily basis, you know, there are people impacted when all of a sudden you can't operate any. I'm hopeful. I mean, there are some things that we, we talk, then as we talk about uh, the fish business, there are some things going on now in Massachusetts where we can get people fishing and bring in product and, you know, someone's going to cut it. Someone like ourselves will value at it and get it ready for uh, to eat somewhere, whether it's flash frozen under nitrogen or something. So the supply chain, at least on the fish level, is now being addressed. We're not quite there yet, but it's being addressed. Roger Berkowitz, CEO of Legal Seafood. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the Supreme Court, which this week will hear arguments over whether or not political organizations have a constitutional right to annoy you with robocalls. Well, actually, I guess annoy you with robocalls isn't how the court's going to hear it, but you understand what I'm saying. So at issue here is a 2015 change to a 1991 law that placed a limit on the use of robocalls. But the plaintiffs in this case argue that the change violates the First Amendment because it essentially says that certain speech is allowed and other speech isn't. As Axios' Kyle Daly reports this morning, quote, most Americans want fewer robocalls in their lives. Today's laws aren't very effective at limiting them, but striking them down would likely lead to even more calls. And finally this morning, the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, has now approved over half a trillion dollars of loans for more than two million small businesses to help cover payroll and other overhead expenses. That's the good news. The bad news, though, is that none of those small businesses, none of them, know for sure if their loans will be forgiven. The legislation, the CARES Act, that put PPP into law gives some broad brush guidance on loan forgiveness, but says specific details would be provided by the Treasury Department and Small Business Administration within 30 days of the CARES Act being signed. But that 30 days ran out over a week ago. Or put another way, small businesses right now are being asked to plan their futures without knowing if they'll need to repay their bailout dollars. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great National Nurses Day. Seriously, thank you. And we will be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.